Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. St. Croix refinery bidders may be on hook for new groundwater contamination. U.S. Virgin Islands Port Authority and Royal Caribbean officials take next steps in $150 to $200 million port deal. Puerto Rico Oversight Board files Eighth Amendment reorg plan. Constitution Court rules the government of St. Martin has not acted on constitutionally, and shell executives meet with Trinidad and Tobago Prime Minister. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, November 5th. We start our report today in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The Virgin Islands source reports that prospective buyers of St. Croix's bankrupt Lime Tree Bay refinery will need to address a host of environmental issues that may include newly discovered nearby groundwater contamination, according to an informational letter from the United States Environmental Protection Agency to potential bidders. According to the EPA, letter dated September 24th, the Contamination and Potential Clean Water Act violations may be tied to the refinery, the terminal operation, or both. While Hovensa continues to clean up the oil it leaked into St. Croix's aquifer over decades ago, this contamination is new, the EPA advises, and a prospective purchaser will be responsible for correcting any ongoing violations. While the EPA declined to give specifics until a bona fide purchaser submits a proposal, the letter gave a clear indication that a purchaser may be required to acquire a prevention of significant deterioration permit to restart the refinery. This is a permit that requires a long dormant as well as new facilities to use best available control technology to control their emissions, a permit that raised eyebrows among environmental groups when it was not required of Lime Tree after over seven years of dormancy, one that the bidders also hope to avoid. Best available control technology is defined in the U.S. Clean Air Act and is the highest requirement reserved for new facilities. Lime Tree Bay will be auctioned on November 12th. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Port Authority Executive Director Carlton Dow and his staff met with Royal Caribbean Group officials last week to begin formal negotiations of an agreement between the two entities that will solidify the U.S. Virgin Islands as a premier destination in the Caribbean. Royal Caribbean Group Vice President of Destinations, Development and Deployment, Joshua Carroll, Director of Business Development for the Americas and Caribbean, Jane Halcombe and Director of Construction Destinations Development Jonathan Ruiz identify specific areas of interest for development in Crown Bay District on St. Thomas. After a discussion of properties, Mr. Dow and his team took the Royal Caribbean Group for a walking tour of the area. The group also established timelines for contract negotiations and plans to conduct meetings and property tours on St. Croix in the upcoming weeks. The multi 
$25 million year port development deal will cost between $150 to $200 million for enhancement at the Austin Monsanto Marine Facility in Crown Bay St. Thomas and the Ann E. Abramson Marine Facility in Frederickstead St. Croix. In addition to guaranteeing minimum revenues for the Virgin Islands Port Authority and increased cruise ship visits to both St. Thomas and St. Croix, Royal Caribbean has expressed an interest in developing enhancements to the cruise facilities in Crown Bay and making landside improvements in the Crown Bay District and St. Croix to enhance the island's tourism products. The Financial Oversight and Management Board for Puerto Rico in a press statement announced that it filed its proposed Eighth Amendment Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment that includes no modification or cut to the pension benefits of active and retired government employees, as provided in Act 53-2021, to authorize the issuance of new general obligation bonds. The plan of adjustment is a historic opportunity for Puerto Rico to reduce the Commonwealth's outstanding debt by almost 80 percent, from $33 billion to $7.4 billion. Working with the Puerto Rico legislator and Governor Pedro Perlusi, the oversight board agreed to revisions that allows confirmation to the plan and proceed with the objective of ending the bankruptcy process under Title III of PROMISA. The agreement with the legislature and the government over pensions and the intent to put a greater percentage of any projected primary supply into the Pension Reserve Trust placed the plan of adjustment on an even more solid foundation ahead of the confirmation hearings next week, said the Oversight Board's Executive Director, Natalie Juresco. By increasing contributions to the Pension Reserve Trust from any projected primary surplus, we strengthen the commitment to ensuring adequate payment of pensions as required by PROMISA. The Pension Reserve Trust will be the retiree's piggy bank for any future economic or fiscal challenges. The plan of adjustment includes a base contribution to the pension reserve thrust of a minimum of $175 million a year. Further, the eight amended plan of adjustment provides for an upside participation bonus of at least $2,000 per year to each member of the Public Servants United of Puerto Rico, which would be higher if the government outperforms a certified fiscal plan as of the effective date of the plan. St. Martin's Island Time reports that on Monday, November 1st, the Constitutional Court did not support the request filed by the Ombudsman of St. Martin on April 26 concerning the three temporary national ordinances to cut the employment benefits of civil servants semi-public sector workers and political authorities. The three contested national ordinances were issued by the government of St. Martin on July 1, 2020 and passed in Parliament on February 3, 2021. During Monday's ruling, the Constitutional Court stated, the court is fully aware that the measures laid down in the national ordinances are far-reaching and have unexpected and serious consequences 
crisis for many. No government would like to take such measures, but the government and Parliament of St. Martin were in a major dilemma. To keep the country going, a lot of money was needed that simply was not there. That money could only be borrowed from the Netherlands under certain conditions, now detailed in the contested regulations. After all, in crisis situations such as the present, Parliament and the government have to act within the limits of their powers as laid down in the Constitution. In the opinion of the Constitutional Court, government has done so and has not acted unconstitutionally. The government of St. Martin has done all that it could to avoid cutting into the basic salaries of its civil servants. Other cost-cutting measures were also sought and implemented, which included the reduction of phone call and data usage, the introduction of gas cards instead of gas bonds, reduction in travel expenditure, as well as reduction in redundancy pay for political authorities. As such, we will be meeting with civil servants this week and the unions the following week to discuss what this means for civil servants who are affected and for the implementation of the new national ordinances. As strongly emphasized by the court, this government will continue to consider the human dimension when making decisions on the next steps forward, stated St. Martin's Prime Minister Silveria Jacobs. Trinidad and Tobago Newsday reports that senior executives of Shell met on Thursday with the Trinidad and Tobago Prime Minister, Dr. Keith Rowley, at the Shell Center in London to discuss collaboration opportunities between Trinidad and Tobago and the oil company. Also at the meeting were Trinidad and Tobago's Energy Minister, Stuart Young. The meeting came after Dr. Rowley met hours earlier with BP CEO Bernard Looney at the company's headquarters in London. Rowley is leading a government delegation in the UK, where earlier this week he spoke at the World Leaders Summit at the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, in Glasgow, Scotland. Rowley and Shell executives also discuss key growth projects and potential collaboration opportunities to progress Trinidad and Tobago's energy transition ambitions. Shell's delegation, led by well, Swalwin, newly appointed director of Integrated Gas, Renewables and Energy Solutions, presented the company's energy transition strategies, powering progress to Rowley and Young. A release from Shell stated that with a purpose-led strategy to accelerate the transition to net zero emissions, Shell target is to be a net zero emission energy business by 2050 in step with society. Shell remains committed to securing Trinidad and Tobago's energy future and is excited to play a leading role in unlocking the country's energy transition potential, said Sawan. Eugene O'Perry, Senior Vice President and Country Chair of Shell Trinidad and Tobago, also stated, We have been operating in Trinidad and Tobago since 1913, and the partnership we have formed have allowed our business to grow and transform to meet the expectations of government and other stakeholders. We look forward to deepening these partnerships to the benefit of all. 
721 News reports that the member states and associated countries of the Caribbean Development and Cooperation Committee will meet virtually today, Friday, November 5th, to address the challenges posed by the recovery from the COVID-19 crisis and to strengthen economic resilience in the sub-region at the 20th meeting of the monitoring committee of this subsidiary body of the Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean. The Caribbean Development and Corporation Committee officially meets every two years, its main objective being to promote and strengthen economic and social cooperation and integration among countries of the Caribbean and with the rest of Latin America to foster the sharing of information and experiences among its membership, incentivize common positions and strategies on economic and social issues among Caribbean nations, as well as its relations with third countries, and present those positions to international forums and agencies. In this 20th meeting of the Monitoring Committee of the CDCC, participating authorities and experts will also debate on how to support the recovery through regional solidarity and integration and safeguarding the health of the Caribbean. They will also present the United Nations Multinational Framework for Sustainable Development in the Caribbean and review the implementation of the 2020 Program of Work for the sub-region, among other matters. Sinkitz and Nevis Observer reports that small farm production is an area on which the Department of Agriculture is focusing with its thrust to ensure food security on Nevis. Mr. Rohan Claxton, Livestock Extension Officer with responsibility for production on the Madden Stock Farm, said that the new program will provide livestock farmers with an opportunity to upgrade their quality of their animals. We are starting the program to provide kids sometime next year to offer for sale at minimum cost. And we offer breeding bull services for goats. To build a nucleus stock, we are going to ask farmers to donate back the females that you get back to the stock farms so that we could increase the breeding nucleus of the goats, he said. The livestock extension officer explained that the department's recent return to the goat breeding program replaces the once thriving sheep breeding program at the farm. The Virgin Islands Source reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Commissioner of the Department of Licensing and Consumer Affairs, Richard Evangelista, said the increase in grocery costs is nothing unexpected or unique to the Virgin Islands because these increases are occurring globally. A disruption in the supply chain and a shortage of labor caused by measures enforced by countries and companies to contain and or control COVID-19 infection spread is the reason why groceries are increasing in cost. COVID-19 has caused a major disruption in the supply chain as well as in the labor markets. Factories are forced to open and close. There is a shortage of staff that were once manning these industries. There is a truck driver shortage. There is a trawl container shortage. There is a showman shortage, he said Wednesday at the Bryan administration's Inside the 
the cabinet. In addition, the cost of packaging has gone up, he added, while referencing an example about the old and new cost of shipping a container with strawberries. A refrigerated container that would be used to ship strawberries used to cost $2,500. That container now costs $10,000 to move, he said. The community and business owners, unfortunately, have to absorb that cost, and in turn, the item that is moved in the container goes up. Our larger retailers here in the Virgin Islands are by no means considered large when they go to market, the commissioner said. And finally, West Indies saw their slim hopes of defending their International Cricket Council Men's T20 World Cup end on Thursday after Sri Lanka secured a 20-run over the 2016 champions at the stadium in Abu Dhabi United Emirates. The result saw the West Indies remain in fifth position on the Super 12 Group 1 standings with just one more match to go against Australia on Saturday. This is the first time in a decade that West Indies have not advanced to the semifinals of the T20 World Cup. Additionally, Saturday's final Group 1 match against Australia could spell the end of at least one illustrious West Indian career with Bravo confirming retirement from the international circuit after the tourney. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, November 5th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook.